All right, well, church, would you just spend a minute, and I know we pray a lot in service, but the, the thing, the reason why we pray a lot in church services is because it's not about us. We are desperately in need of God to move here. If I'm just some guy standing up to talk to you and try to share knowledge with you, we're doomed. <laughs> My wife laughs at that, right? But <laughs> she knows all too well, right? But if I'm up here and Jesus is the one who, the Holy Spirit is the one communicating to you his truth through me, then we're in business and the kingdom is about to move. And, and we'll pray for the slides. Thank you for enduring uh, with us as we didn't have our, our worship slides. Um, and, but, but we'll pray that we get those slides up so you can follow. If not, man, we'll roll because the, the Holy Spirit's here moving and working. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray, we with open arms and open hearts pray that today you would do the speaking, that you would do the teaching. It's not about us. Lord Jesus, it is entirely about you. We are here together, not because we're a group of like-minded people, but because, Lord, because of what you did for us. We have come to say thank you, Jesus, and we pray now that you would give us the hard things, the directives that we need to hear so that we can come closer to you every minute of every day. Lord, we pray that now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's see here if uh, we can get our slides up. But in the meantime, while I'm trying to work on that, uh, my question uh, to the kids is uh, one of a challenge for a lot of us, isn't it? When God asks us to take part, part in hard Things. There's a lot of things in Scripture. By the way, if you read the Bible and you're never challenged or you never hear something that you don't like, you're probably reading the Bible wrong because the Bible and God's Word is in the business of challenging us. It's in the business of challenging us. Um, so I've learned uh, that really being a parent is a great way to gain greater understanding and insight into your relationship with Jesus. Any other parents notice that? That when you're being a parent, you're like, you realize, oh my goodness, God is trying to show me that I'm acting like my kids here. <laughs> I got some laughter out of that one. So some of you know what I mean. Some of you will know someday. And if, if you don't, we can give you a, a turn in the nursery. Um, and you'll learn very quickly that God teaches us a lot of lessons. Um, hmm. Looks like we're, let's see, maybe we can, let's see if I, maybe not, maybe not here. Is there a remote back there, guys, a little silver remote? You can just press continue. We'll, we'll keep moving on. We won't wait for it. Oh, wait. Oh, there we go. Oh, hey. Praise the Lord. Okay. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, the thing about having kids is it teaches us a lot about our relationship with Jesus. For example, when I talk to my kids, sometimes I ask them to go clean their room. And can you imagine, this is a kind of a narrative that I play in my head sometimes. Can you imagine if we responded to God uh, or if my kids responded to me the same way that we typically respond to God? It would go, I, I think about it like this. It would go something like, okay, kids, I need you to clean your room. And they'd say, well, dad, I could see Evie running up. Dad, dad, we formed a committee. And you'll never believe we had a very exegetical study on cleaning your room. We have even formed a systematic theology of cleaning your room. Can you imagine? I'd be like, at this point, I'd be like, wow, that's actually pretty impressive. We have agreed, Dad, that cleaning your room is indeed a good thing. And I would probably turn to them and say, guys, did you clean your room? Well, no. Can you see how we as the church sometimes respond to God that way? 
We have systematic theologies. We spend so much time studying, but oftentimes we don't walk in the obedience of the things that we're learning, don't we? And we have every excuse for why we haven't walked in that. One of the most important passages in all of the scriptures is the Great Commission. There's two greats in the Bible, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And usually when there's the word great before it, would you say it's pretty important? Yeah, yeah. See, this is the the farewell words that Jesus gives his disciples. As he's about to ascend to heaven, he gives them these words. And so there's something that we should take note of and walk in. So let's read that together, church, Matthew 28, 16 through uh, 20 here. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just a sec, I wanna pause here. I really like, let's see if this works. Okay, yeah, you guys can see that, all right? All authority, that's gonna be a really important word for us. And that authority is, in particular, Jesus says to me. So that authority belongs to Christ. And we're gonna see that that is twofold, but let's keep reading this passage here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Oh, I love that last part. It's so good to know that Jesus is with us. And so today, guys, I wanna talk, I wanted to start us off on the subject of discipleship. Discipleship is one of the most important tasks that Jesus gives his believers. And if you're a believer here today, guess what? They did this. They did this. They made disciples. And the reason why we are Christians here today is because those disciples back then made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And they carried the gospel all throughout history until it arrived to your ears. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? The gospel traveled all throughout history. But today, I want to ask in particular, what did Jesus mean by making disciples? Because there's a lot of different ideas. The the weird thing about language today, and maybe you'll agree with me, is is language seems so so subjective today. It's like we can take a word and make it mean anything that's contrary to what it actually means. And so this is why it's so important for us as Christians to slow down and make sure that we understand the words that Jesus uses and how he meant them and how he meant them. And so we want to define discipleship by how Jesus defined a discipleship. And so as we look at the life of Jesus, here's a a quote from a guy uh, that I, I think nails the life of Jesus throughout the gospels. It's discipleship is a significant investment in a specific few. Would you say that with me? A discipleship is a significant investment in a specific few. We saw Jesus invest in a small group of guys more than anybody else during his life. He spent all of his resources on those few guys. And even within those few guys, those 12 disciples, right? There were more disciples than that, but he spent the bulk of his time with those guys. And then within the 12, there was even a smaller group where he spent even more time and intention on those guys. And even in that group, there were three guys. You guys remember who they were? James and John, right? 
those guys, and Peter. And, and so Jesus took a specific investment in them. For us today, that discipleship is defined, I'd like to add to the end of this phrase, a significant investment in a specific few, in particular, in their relationship with Jesus. Our highest investment in others is in their relationship with Jesus. How are they doing with Christ? That is discipleship. Uh, referring to making disciples, this is from the Lexham Theological Wordbook. Um, these words also refer not only to the transfer of information, but also to the transformation of one's lifestyle in order to become more, excuse me, like one's teacher, okay? This is really important that we don't just communicate information as Christians. We're not just academics. We're not just here to become really smart. If that was the case, you probably wouldn't have wanted to hire me because I'm not a very smart guy. God just given me a lot of grace. Thank goodness that it doesn't require a really high education level to do what this is called, to become a disciple who makes disciples. <clears throat> I look at uh, a problem that we have today in the Christian church is something we call Christian consumerism. People tend to treat the church, God's church, like it's another hot dog or hamburger stand. Right, And so what we have is we're treating it as a commodity. And so what churches tend to do is they provide goods and services. right? And this is how the world views the church. And so if they don't provide the goods and services that I like, what do we do? We go find a church that does provide those goods and services in the way that we like them, in the way that we want them. right? And that's a problem. Church, that's a problem. And it's why the American church is absolutely and totally broken is because we have turned into consumers when we should be disciple makers. Does that make sense? So we are commanded to make disciples. And see, here's the thing. If you think back to when you were saved or you look at passages about salvation like Romans 10.9, if you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says, you will be saved. So a major part of salvation and being saved is recognizing that you're no longer in charge of your life, Jesus is, right? You're no longer in the driver's seat, Jesus is. And so if Jesus gives us a commission, we say, yes, Lord, I'm not in charge. I can't wait to follow what you have commanded me to do. So as I prepared this message, I thought, well, a lot of times when preachers stand up, they try to convince you, okay, well, here's all the benefits to you for following Jesus. Let me tell you about all the good things that you're going to get for following Jesus, right? And we try to convince you, if you do enough, if you follow Jesus enough, he's going to give you all the things that you want. Is that a lie? It is kind of a lie that our community, our, our world believes, right? But we know that that's not a good motivator. Because what you're, you're trying to use Jesus to get your idols. And that's not a good relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus wants you to pursue him. And he wants us to use all the things in your life to pursue him because he wants to be the Lord of your life because he's worthy of that title, right? He's worthy of that title. And see, this is, this is how um, I want to appeal to you today to follow Christ, not because discipleship is gonna give you everything you want. If you're hoping for that new Mercedes-Benz, discipleship is not your path. If you're hoping for a jet, I'm sorry, it's not gonna happen if you're gonna take the discipleship path. 
Because we look at the life of Jesus to define what discipleship is. And so I'm, we're going to look at uh, briefly four different means or four different things that we can pull out of the Great Commission to help us understand what discipleship is. Before we do, I want you to think about Hebrews 5. Let me read this for you. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna highlight this, who by constant use, who by practice have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. It doesn't mean they sat in a bunch of Bible studies. It doesn't mean that they just know the right things to say. It means this, what? Constant use, practice, trained, trained. Any athletes out there, right? You could sit in a classroom all day and learn how to play basketball. Is that gonna affect your game? You have to get out there and practice the skills. You have to use, you have to, constant use, you have to. Um, and so with us, when we talk about this, it's going to be, we need to practice these things. We need to practice making disciples. Practice it, okay? Are you going to start out really good at it? Most of us probably not. Some of us are maybe better than others, but, but it, all of it, it, it's all about practice. You practice making disciples right? My wife is a thousand times better at making disciples than I am, right? And, and it sometimes astounds me how God has gifted her in doing that. And I walk up and I bumble through like how to share the gospel, what to tell them. Like I'm, I, I struggle with some of that and, and she it comes to her so naturally. But man, that is, that is something for all of us, no matter where you're at, God's call to you, his commission is to start practicing making disciples. So with that, where do we begin? Well, I want to take you back to that great commission then. And we see that discipleship is first modeled. It's first modeled. The very core of the great commission starts with who? I kind of overdid that, right? It starts with Jesus. He's talking about me. All authority has been given to me. There's twofold. That authority means two things. One, that he has the authority to tell us what to do. But also, guys, this is the exciting part. When he says, all authority has been given to me and I'm commissioning you and I'm sending you out, he says, I am going to do it. I have the power to make disciples through you. It doesn't depend on you. Everybody say, amen. If it depended on us, we would be shot. It would, be, it would be not good if it depended on our skill or how good we were or how much we could talk people into the kingdom of heaven or debate them or argue them into the kingdom of heaven. We'd be in trouble if that was the case. But Jesus says, all authority, he says, I'm commanding you, but I'm also empowering you. I'm giving you the power to make disciples. And so first we have to look at the life of Jesus who lived perfectly the empowerment of God in his discipleship. So it doesn't depend, if you're going to be making disciples, it doesn't depend on how awesome you are. It doesn't depend on your wealth. The only requirement is faith in Christ. Isn't that cool? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can be a disciple maker today. I want you to think about, well, how about age? Is there like a point where you age and you're finally old enough to make disciples? Let me tell you this. You ever thought about the age of the disciples? Do you know how old they were? When they first met Jesus, John, the baby disciple, was probably about 12 years old. I want you to think about that. The oldest disciple 
in Jesus's ministry. And we know this from the temple tax. And uh, if you want to explore this, it's kind of a cool study. But Peter himself was probably no more than 21, probably 18, when he met Jesus. I always, people tell me, why are you passionate about young people in, in church? And be like, well, Jesus was. He was basically a youth pastor, Corey. So he commissions these guys when he, when he goes to the cross. He was probably, uh, when Jesus dies on the cross and Peter takes on the church, he was probably no more than 23. Think about yourself at 23. <laughs> I hear some laughter, <laughs> right? You think about, man, how on earth did Jesus entrust these punk kids with his church? He did it because he was the one who was going to make disciples through them. It wasn't about them because God uses the foolish to shame the wise, right? God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't pick the most impressive people, but instead he uses us. <laughs> Can we have a little humility and say, thank you, Lord, that you use us? So it was modeled through the disciples. Were they educated? There's several times in scripture that says that the disciples were seen as what? Uneducated men. So if you're hoping, if you're like, man, I have to get a seminary degree before I can start making disciples, I'm here to tell you that's just not a biblical. Jesus is your resume. I, I don't know if that'll help you with your next job. <laughs> you put that one, Jesus is my resume. Maybe I don't recommend that. That's what I did on my resume, guys. Thanks for hiring me. To know Jesus, you must be looking at him. You must be looking at him. I love this idea that Jesus, he is the centerpiece of how we make disciples. So in order to make disciples, you have to be disciple, right? And so you have to be looking at Jesus. I love this picture of this kid. I clearly doesn't have to shave, right? But he sees that's what his dad does. Guys, that's all we do in making disciples. We just do what we saw Jesus do. We follow him and we model him. It's like monkey see, monkey do. Monkey see, monkey do, but instead, man, it is like we get to follow Jesus and what he did. To know Jesus, you must be looking at him. And by the way, Scripture, the Word of God is the best and most accurate way to look at Jesus. There are a lot of different versions. of. There's a lot of different people that have formed Jesus and painted this picture that's kind of more like them than he is who he historically and accurately was. And so it's really important in church that we don't paint an inaccurate picture of who Jesus is. It's really important. So if we're not going to paint uh, an inaccurate picture of Jesus, what do we have to do? We have to look at him. We have to let him tell us who he was, and we do that best through looking at his word. Become like you we behold. There's this concept that I love in Scripture. It comes up over and over and again, but we, we become like the things that we look at. The things that we obsess over, we begin to... Hey, you guys have seen this in high school, right? You ever looked at a group of high school kids? Have you ever noticed that they wear the same hats, the same t-shirts, the same... You ever wonder why that is? Because they're all looking at each other like, man, I want to be as cool. I hope they like me. I want to be like them. And so they become like the things they're looking at. You ever noticed why in the last 20 years, many of the, the trends in society have come from movies? Because what are we all looking at? Movies, right? And so we have been great disciples of culture by looking at movies by looking at the people around us, what if God's people gave, beheld Jesus in such a way that, that that's what we, we wanted to be like our Lord and our Savior? We become like the things that we make disciples of Jesus and not ourselves. This is a really important thing. When we make disciples, guys, the pressure is off because I'll tell you right now, I don't want to make any more people like Shane. 
Trust me when I say, and Becky will laugh at this again, you don't need any more Shanes. You need disciples of Jesus. Being a disciple is not about replicating yourself. It's about saying, hey, I'm in such need of Jesus. And that's all your task is, is to say, behold, behold my Savior, behold my Lord. Don't look at me. Don't be more like me. See, I think a lot of us in Christianity today, we think evangelism making disciples, trying to make people think like us, trying to make them buy into our value. In fact, I had Christians one time tell me that, you know, you know how I evangelism, evangelize Shane or how I share I just be a really good person. I have really good things, and, and I think people will look at me and just want to be good like me. That's a very dangerous way to make disciples. You think you're that good? You think you can sustain that kind of righteousness? And the truth is none of us can. Only Jesus can do that. And so we don't walk around saying, be like me. We walk around. That is the model discipleship that we want to walk in. So it's modeled by Jesus. Jesus is the only requirement of making disciples. And it's modeled as much as we, it's taught. You guys, look at the life of Jesus. And he taught, and he taught big crowds, didn't he? But you ever notice, every time he's teaching a big crowd, what is he doing? He's turning and explaining. You look at the Beatitudes. Who are those written? Or who, who did he speak those to? You know the primary audience of the Beatitudes? The disciples. Because they were going to become every one of those things, right? Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They were going to be for his sake, right? <sighs> so let's continue on. I want you to think about uh, Philippians 4.9 tells us, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't it crazy that Paul could say that? Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That that principle, monkey see, monkey do. I'm going to do everything I see Jesus do, and uh, if you can, try to screen out the things that are of me and just do the things that are of him. Um, it uh, happens on, well, here, before I go to this point, um, being still on model, uh, model, for parents, I want you to hear this. Barna studies are showing us that the primary influencer in a kid's faith, in your kid's faith, is still you. Regardless of all the different influences, what they're saying is the, still the greatest in, in the younger generation. What you make important about your, about your children is what they're going to pursue. That's what Barna is saying. The problem is we have become much more concerned about what in our children more than Jesus. We're more concerned about their performance. We're more concerned about how well they do, how much income they make, how much education they have, how, how much they, they perform in, in sports. And we ask our kids over, those aren't bad things, by the way. Those are good things, right? Everybody, you know, if you're a kid here, let me, let me, let me uh, affirm that those are good things. But how many times do us as adults, do we as adults ask about our children's relationships with Jesus? And then I want you to think about how many times do we ask about their Your kids think the most important thing to you are the things that you ask about. When I ask parents, when I meet with parents, they're like, yeah, I'm raising my kid to know Jesus and to love Jesus. And I ask, when's the last time you've asked your kid how their relationship is going? And they'll look at me. That's not modeled discipleship. Our kids, our children should see our Bibles open in the morning on our tables, our desks. They should see us fur furiously can you imagine that? Man, that's a way to model. What if we as parents modeled such a need for that we couldn't even make decisions on the next call without praying and consulting the next move, the next movie that we watch? And by the way, as I say this, I'm committed. 
because I need this too. I need this too. I'm by no means a perfect parent. I want my kids to value Christ. And to do that, they have to see that he's important and that, that he is the most. A model of imperfection is needed. By the way, so many of us today spend so much time trying to show ourselves to be impressive. To, and I think this is, a, this is a, a sad trap that we need to model our imperfections and stop hiding our imperfections. Because when you, when you start to say, I am in desperate need of Jesus, you're showing everybody around you that it's not about you, it's about who? So guys, this is where we need to start being honest with the fact that we're sinners, aren't we? We sin all the time, every day, sometimes even without our knowledge. We're sinning against the Lord, and we need his constant grace. Let's stop bragging and having pride in ourselves and start having pride, forgiveness, Christ. That's what Paul said, right? I have determined that I'm going to boast in nothing but the the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to brag about how awesome I am. I'm going to brag about how awesome my Lord is because I am really not that awesome when I not perfect or holy, but in need. Guys, that means we need to be okay with admitting our faith. Do you make mistakes or confessing that? Have you done that? Some of you, maybe, if you're like me, are still holding on to those times where I'm like, I refuse to be wrong. I don't care if I am wrong. I refuse to be wrong. We got to be people that admit failure, confess our sin, and not hide. Because the world needs to see people like Christ, not an impressive people. If they want to see an impressive people, there's plenty of other places they can go. We have an impressive Savior. We are not an impressive people. So this, I want you to, so that, that's under the authority piece that Jesus, when he starts with the Great Commission, he says, it's all authority has been given to me. So the centerpiece, centerpiece of the Great Commission is that it relies on Jesus. We have to make him the focal point of our discipleship. Nextly, er, nextly uh, therefore, <laughs> it happens on purpose. It happens on purpose. It's intentional. I want you to look then again at that great commission. As we look here, it says, therefore, go and make. Those are two verbs that don't just accidentally happen. Like how many of you are sitting on your couch and you're like, I'm actively going. There's a, (laughs) like those two things don't work together, right? Therefore, go and make disciples. Making disciples is intentional. It's intentional. You get up every morning and you say, I know that my Lord has this for me, that I need to be making disciples. And we know it's a significant investment in a specific view. I, I got a question for you. How many hours a day do you think Jesus spent with his disciples, approximately? Uh, it was probably about 16 hours a day when they weren't sleeping, right? Uh, over the course of two years, that equals about 15,600 hours with his disciples who died on the cross. That's a pretty significant investment. How, when you guys think about your days, how many of you spend most of your days working, most of your days at school, most of your days at home with kiddos? Well, I got something. You just found where God wants you because that's where you spend most of your The people around you during the day, that's where God has you make disciples, where most of your time is spent. That's where your investments should lie, your investments in others' relationships. So if you're at work, I'm looking at Anthony back there, and I see him shaking his head like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Your investments in people at work, your investments in where you eat. How many of you eat? Everybody should be like, yeah, Shane, we eat, right? I probably eat well. But what you eat, that's another opportunity for disciple-making, for disciple-making. Where you go, how, how you eat, inviting people. I, I shared uh, during the candidacy that I believe people should 
come to faith at our dinner tables before they come to faith at our, because we would be a disciple man. And when we get to church every Sunday, can you imagine? Like, this is where we have all these new salvations, people who have been discipled, people who have heard the gospel at our dinner tables, and we come Sunday just to say, look what God has done. Wouldn't that be a cool Sunday service? It was just total celebration about what Jesus has done all throughout the week at our dinner table and in our homes and at our place. And we know that it's intentional. It has to be scripture-centered. And we have that in Timothy that all scripture is God uh, is, is God ordained. It's really God proof. Uh, so it's good for training. It's good for reproof. We have that from Timothy. And so when we make disciples, we want to point them to the word of God. We want to hand them a, a Bible and walk through with them how to read. Because I'll tell you guys, they don't know how to read it. Spending a lot of time with the younger generation, they have nowhere to start. You can't just hand somebody a book, sit down. Where do they start? What questions ask? Follow up. This is how we make disciples. It's centered around Scripture. In John 5, 19, in John 5, 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Isn't that cool? Like Jesus himself said, that I only do what the what I see the and we should turn around and do exactly what we see. Um, so it happens on purpose. It's a significant investment. When we disciple others, it's a significant investment. It's centered on God's work. And it's goal-oriented. It's goal-oriented. When I think of Peter, you guys know the Apostle Peter? Right, okay. So Peter kind of denied Jesus three times. Anybody heard the poor story? Talk about the rest of history getting dragged through the right? But he denied Jesus three times, and Jesus walks him through this beautiful moment of restoration because Jesus is doing what? He's got a goal for people. He's got a purpose for people. I think a lot of us, like when we're sharing the gospel or making disciples, we just, we just want to make other Christians. And then they show up, and they're like, okay. And we're like, well, our job is done. It's like, no, we have goals. Jesus had goals for his disciples to lead the church, to lead the movement, Guys, there's a leadership problem in the church today. And I believe it's because we're not making disciples and we're not intentional and we don't have goals for our disciples. I'm gonna meet with many of you and I'm gonna say, hey, you know what? You would probably be a good elder, man. And I'm gonna work with, I'm gonna speak that potential because there's the goal that if you would be an elder or a leader in the church or a study leader or somebody who would make other disciples, women, there's so many leadership potentials for you as well to go and to make disciples, right? We have the, the Titus 2 model, let the older women mentor and, and train up the younger women. And that's so important. There's so many different potentials or places for us to serve. We should have a goal for every one of our disciples that they would be, don't you think? What if every investment you said, uh, there's a guy uh, in history who is uh, really given the credit for establishing or abolishing slavery in, in the world. You guys know the name William Wilberforce? There's it, a great biography about him. It's called Amazing Grace. But William Wilberforce, during his time, he would walk around and he had this little journal. And he would share the, share the gospel with people around him. And every conversation he had, he would write down where it left off. And then he would respond where he would pick it back up to one step Christ every single day. What if you kept a log of every conversation you had and you said, this is the next time I talk to this person, I'm going to take one step Jesus, one step Jesus. That's, I was always touched that, by that with William Wilberforce, but how intentional is that? Like you kind of do that on purpose, right? I think a lot of us 
Uh, think about discipleship, and we're like, if we just live a really good life, then people will accidentally get saved around us, and they'll accidentally become disciples and church leaders. Thank goodness God doesn't need us, and he does that sometimes. But it's not because we're being obedient and faithful. He would make disciple us. We're his plan. I don't know why sometimes, <laughs> right? But he chooses to use us. I think it's because he gets the glory. So it's goal-oriented. It's goal-oriented, and it's on purpose. It's also humiliating. When I think about the life of Jesus, it, he says it's in the name of, of God, right? We, we, we make disciples not in, in our name, but in Christ's name. And so a lot of times it means that we must decrease. If you know John uh, the Baptist, it's like we have this, this idea that, that he must increase and we must decrease. It's not about us. Discipleship is not about us, right? So it's humiliating. It's sometimes even self-depreciating. Making disciples is gritty and sometimes unrewarding. You sometimes might cost your coolness, guys. Uh, it sometimes costs us our resources, our glory. Do you know Jesus got in trouble multiple times because of his disciples? Remember, they were picking heads of grain. They were like, Jesus, what are your disciples doing? You know, and he came to their defense, but he got in trouble because of them, didn't he? Do you guys have disciples that you would be okay getting in trouble with on their behalf? <laughs> like, those of you who are parents and you've gone to a supermarket know exactly what I'm like, those are somebody else's kids. Like, I think about my kids, ah, like running around in circles. No, like I go and I pick, those are my kids. Those are my kids are the ones screaming. So if you guys are at Walmart and you hear a scream, you just say, that's probably Pastor. And it's probably Pastor Shoe because I'm, I'm with him running around. But it can be kind of humiliating sometimes, can it? But Jesus, not once did he roll his eyes at his long side. And they were embarrassed. You, again, they were like teenagers. You know how embarrassing teen. When I was a teenager, my mom would drag me to church. This just made, and I would sit in the back row with all my buddies, black skull shirts, I had long black hair, and we'd look through our hair at people hiss sometimes. I can't imagine how embarrassed my mom was of me I was in church. But you know what? She kept bringing me. I was her son. And what if we invested in our disciples? Sometimes making disciples is humiliating, and it's not always rewarding. I, I was going to read you the foot washing. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You know how humiliating that would be? Wrap himself in a towel and a clean, disgusting toe jam. But the Lord of the universe did that for his disciples. Was that humiliating? Yeah, because it was modeling. Jesus was teaching the root of discipleship that he defines it as humility. Guys, in the church, no one is greater than any other. In the church, nobody is better than anybody else because we're all saved by the same grace of our Lord. I'm standing up here. As, as a pastor, that doesn't make me any more righteous than you. Did you know that? I'm not better than any of you. In fact, it's God's grace. I don't know why. Sometimes he's led me to how he is. It's all to his glory. It's all to his glory. But there is no hierarchy in the church. We're all saved by the same grace of our Jesus. It's humiliating to be a disciple maker. It's gritty. It's unrewarding. It's like washing feet. And there's no positions of prestige when it comes to making disciples. And I want to finish with, with this. Uh, when we look at the, the Great Commission, he ends there with teaching them everything I commanded you, right? Teaching them everything I commanded you. And, and um, it kind of assumes something here that I think a lot of us forget, especially in our post-Christian. Most of the people you come in contact with don't know what, they don't know who Jesus truly is. So guys, we have to be the people who come and teach them what Jesus taught. We can't assume they know the Bible story. As a, a, I've, I've shared the gospel on college campuses for 
near 15 years now. And the longer I do, the more I've seen this disconnect. I can never assume that people know at all what I'm I have to start at ground one, ground zero, when it comes to talking about who Jesus is. And most of the time, I have to unwrite some of the falsities or the lies that people believed about Jesus that are not in Scripture. Most of my evangelism is just like, like, hey, where is that in the Bible? Did Jesus really say that? Where did you get that sense? Just asking questions. How many of you can ask questions? Good disciplers across the board. I saw everybody shake their head yes. Asking good questions and then taking people to the place where the answer is. See, because discipleship starts before salvation. Were the disciples saved when they got started in Jesus? They weren't. They were a long time in, in Jesus' ministry where the disciples, but he was still discipling. Some of you know that person that you've been praying for. Don't give up. Keep disciple. Keep event. Keep sharing the gospel. Because discipleship starts before salvation. <clears throat> There's this thing in the church that I would like to really work on with us as a church, and I'm, I'm going to try to be sensitive here, guys, but there's this principle I'm really going to drive home with us as a church, and it's called gospel fee. Everybody say gospel fee. Most Christians today cannot articulate the gospel, the good news, meaning they can't clearly explain how somebody becomes a Christian. They can't even clearly explain how they become a Christian. How are we ever going to see people being made disciples if we don't even know what the gospel is? And so this is where I want to work on what I call gospel fluency, that we can be able to articulate generally as a people here at First Baptist Church how to be saved in a clear and understandable way, that we could navigate that in any conversation, that we speak the gospel to one another so much that it's a normal practice. When I say the gospel, let's talk here. So uh, this diagram that I have up, just so you guys so this is kind of a, the line of people coming towards Christ is what I would call it, right? And we would say that they're dead in Christ if they're not curious, they're not seeking Jesus out, they're not interested. We'd say they're, they're dead in Christ, or they're, they're dead, right? Dead spiritually is what the Bible says. You were dead in your trespasses. And then we have on the other spectrum, somebody who is, uh, is living their life in Christ. And so here's kind of the line that, of discipleship where God takes us through. He takes us from death to life. And it, oftentimes it starts with not being curious and then and stepping into more of a curiosity. And then we have salvation. Somebody typically shares the gospel with us maybe early on when we're not curious. And then we start to ask questions. And then somebody to, walks us through what that means for us. And then we become a believer. And then we become a disciple. We look at Jesus. And then we become a disciple maker and a lifelong servant of Christ. Did you guys know the goal is not to just become a Christian? Jesus' goal for you is not to just become a Christian. Jesus' goal for you is to be who makes disciples. That is maturity. That is the So again, just a, another quick a kind of progression of where I see discipleship happening, starting with not curious all the way to lifelong servant. We are all called to seek out lost and to share the that is discipling. Evangelism is a part of discipling. We need to be a gospelly fluent people can have good conversations about the gospel. And all Christians are to gospelize. That means all of us are called where we're at, make disciples to share the gospel. My hope is over the next five weeks is to equip you guys to take out more, uh, we'll say, boundaries to gospel. How many of you feel terrified to share? I hope to maybe pull some of those boundaries. How many of you are like, I don't even know where to start sharing gospel and disciple? I hope to maybe remove some of those 
barriers next several because God is uniquely gifted. If you're a believer here, you've trusted in Jesus, the forgiveness of your sins, says the Holy Spirit is coming and he will now equip you. He will give you the right words, the right time, but he also gifts you with unique personality and talents and gifting uniquely served. Over the next five weeks, I hope by the end of the five weeks, that is how God has gifted you. Can we go on that journey together? Okay, so bear with me as we pursue that, uh, making disciples. So an encouragement as we close here, that Jesus is surely with us always to the very end of the age. We don't make disciples. He is with us in this endeavor. His special presence is felt in the process of discipleship. If you felt distant from God, become a disciple maker. And I guarantee you're going to feel the presence of God in a, in a more intimate way than maybe you ever have. Maybe, it's, maybe the feelings of distance are because you aren't actively making disciples. You're still in the committees. So what? Make disciples. Get started now. It will be hard. Don't give up. And if you email me this week at srosti at gmail.com and ask uh, for a free uh, digital copy of what I call the Disciples Ma- Disciple Makers Handbook, Becky and I have, over the last 15 years, put together a, a, a resource that is all of our favorite. Dis- it's not original to us, but we want to give those to you. And even maybe if you have questions, it's a great way to it. It really unpacks how you can make disciples. And it's simple, I promise, because I'm simple. I have to have simple. It's simple. I want to walk you through. Guys, let me pray for you. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. If we faithfully make disciples, invest in a significant investment, put a significant investment in, then I think we're on the verge of Because when God's people listen and (laughs) get ready for what God is going. Guys, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, would you help us to be disciples? Not just people who come to church. And Lord, if there's anyone here, uh, Lord, who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would become a disciple. And if there's any here that have a question about what that means, Lord, I pray that they would serve. Lord, I pray that. Jesus, I also just pray for the us. God, would you equip us with power, Holy Spirit, to speak your gospel, make disciples of all the nations. Church, thanks for being here. Uh, I really appreciate you. I'll always... Uh, at the end of Sunday, just kind of stand down here if you have questions about what I preached. Um, but I'd like to invite you, if you want to pray, if you need prayer, I'd like to just invite you to come. I'd love to come. And with that, you're dismissed. Thank you. for.